Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, August 30th. Time for another episode of the Power Hour. I'll be joined by the team from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them in just a couple minutes. Then we'll get to your calls and questions. It's a maintenance free-for-all today. Anything that has anything to do with maintenance and repairs and modifications, troubleshooting, all that stuff. Pick up the phone and join us. Lines are open. Calls are already starting to come in, so jump in. 855-950-3835. Later on today, we'll be doing an episode of The Pit. Not sure what time yet. We'll see how the morning progresses. I've got a couple things, but I think I'm going to bring in uh, the team from Pittsburgh Power Show Pete, are you guys on the phone today? So I'm on the phone. Um, Jordan's trying to get our system set up. We were having problems with our internet. So hopefully we'll be able to get that fired up here shortly. Got it. All right. So uh, where's Bruce going to be today? I believe on his cell phone because he's not here. Okay. So I don't have Bruce on here yet either. So I guess it's you and I right now this morning. What's be, on what's on your mind? It'll be the Kevin and Pete show then. That'll be That's interesting. Right. That's right. What's on your mind so, this week? Uh, a couple of things. So a couple of things. One, you know, we, we talk about big camps. I know it's kind of old and somewhat irrelevant. Nearly all day long. That's all I do is take big cam calls. Wow. And it's crazy. You'd be shocked how many how much we sell in big cam parts. I'm still shocked. Our, you know, Pat's our pump guy. He's three, four weeks behind doing pumping injectors and some other components. I have a MVT unit, and they haven't made an MVT unit since 1985, and he's got that to work on. Wow. Uh, we're still doing a lot of it, and guys want these old trucks, so we're going to take care of them. Yeah, absolutely. We do a lot of that. Yeah. So let me ask we you. Had a, let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. You said he's like three or four weeks behind in the pump room. There, um, mm-hmm. at, at one point, the pump mm-hmm. room almost disappeared. Right? I mean, that's how you guys got started. That, that was that was a big part of what you did in the very beginning. It almost disappeared. Right? Yes. I mean, <clears throat> yes. So I would say ten years ago, I was worried that like, what Pat's going to do? Because I mean, all he does is components. Right. Um, Again, you could learn to shop, but you know, at what point do you want to do that after doing components your whole life? Um, and then all of a sudden, we just got busy again. Yeah. Yeah, to hear that Crazy the pump busy. room is now <laughs> three to four weeks behind sounds bizarre. I think there's a couple of things. One, there's very few people doing it. Unfortunately, right. Pat started um, at a tech school, so he started at 19. So you know, a lot of these people that have done it in the past are retired. Yeah. So that's, I think there's two of them. It's a big investment for equipment. And then are you going to train someone to learn something that's, that is going to die off at some point? There's no two ways about that. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I think one of the reasons it's back is what we've been talking about with the complication of the new engines, trying to get parts for things, the downtime, the cost, the complexity. You know, I think there are some people that just say, look, I just want a nice, simple truck I can count on every day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And I had a gentleman call today and wanted to know if we carried 
DD15 turbos. And then generally, we'll get one if we need one. It's not something that gives us much problems. Right. And I said, no, I would have to get an engine serial number and look to see if, if there's any out there. And he said, no, they're on national back order. Wow. So I, I didn't ask him what year it is. DD15 turbos are on back order right now. And what's nice about these NTCs, we can cheat. There are ways around, if this turbo doesn't work, this will get you by. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can't inject we have a truck in the shop. I'm going to call it up. Hey, do you have a fuel pump uh, for my truck? And I said, well, no, I don't. Do I need one right away? I said, well, I have one for another CPL. The fuel pressure is the same. Very similar engines. I know it'll work. You right. I'll take it. Yeah, right. Takes it. Um, and again, you can't do that on the newer stuff. No. You know, we know, and just through experience, we know what you can and can't do. I mean, you can't just throw anything on there. I, I knew that this would be safe. Right. And, um, Next day, he's like, I don't have any power. So we think there's a problem with the pump. We're checking things for him. Then it turned out, oh, and when he said, I need a fuel pump, a shop told him he needed one. So I just took that as it was tested and it was a bad pump. I didn't ask any questions. And it turned out, as we're talking to him, this was the exact same problem he had before. Low, low power and okay. it was low fuel pressure. Misfire, smoke, runs off. So we're checking things out. Pull out an injector. gets blown off. Well, another injector gets blown off. For, and before we did that, though, we checked the settings. What we assumed was they were just going to be loose. So instead of wrong, and they're real loose, which would cause them to smoke and run rough. Here they were too tight. Instead of 90 inch pounds, they were 150 inch pounds. And they, the plunger hit the cup so bad it broke the tips. So four of the six injectors had holes in them. The other two, I couldn't tell, but they were dirty. And I didn't feel like you know, four of them is bad, but it's good enough. Um, and I think what happened was, well, it's not going to atomize fuel because it's just a, instead of a 8,000 diameter hole in eight of them, there's one hole that's, you know, 50,000 in, in diameter. So nothing's getting atomized. And um, I, I believe that's why it didn't make fuel pressure. It's because it's just going straight through the, the engine. Now, we won't know that until we get injectors. And of course, I'm waiting for the shop that did it that made the mistake sending injectors to cover for the guy. So when to get injectors here to verify that that's going to fix that problem. Right. Right. All right. But, you know, even and with, if they weren't, I don't have those injectors. They're on back order. But again, I know what I can get away with using should we had to. Yeah. Where, you know, X15, DD15, you're putting exactly what belongs in there or nothing else. Um, but apparently the shop that worked on it was able to get a set and because it was their mistake, they're going to cover it for them. Oh, good. Yeah, you know. Which is, yeah, good thing it, for him. <clears throat> it was a year ago we were really talking about the supply chain shortages and all the container ships sitting off the coast. And, you know, we're not talking about it much anymore, but it seems to me like it's worse. It hasn't gotten any better. I, I keep hearing of more and more no. shortages. <clears throat> Yeah, I agree. And, and another thing you're saying, which could make it worse. So with COVID in China, they would lock the people in the warehouses yeah. for the factories and they worked. You know, they, they don't have a right. And we wouldn't do that here, but they did it over there. Yeah. So some stuff was getting made. Well, now with the power shortage, because of the, the everything is dry and the, um, they don't have the hydroelectric dams functioning like they should because of the low water, um, there's, there's no way around that. They simply can't make the parts. So yeah. it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, I don't see it getting any better. 
it's uh, it seems <laughs> to be getting worse. And diesel was coming down week after week. It just shot up twenty cents this week. Diesel's back over five dollars a gallon again. Yeah, I see gasoline has come down a little bit, but it it, it dropped you know a fair amount at a time. Now it's just a few cents each time you see it drop. Yeah, it kind of isn't, isn't doing much right now. Yeah, you know what's weird is so is it shot way up and then back down. Had it just shot up to this point, we'd still be screaming about how expensive it is. But it seems like we're getting a break when we're really not. We're, right? Yeah, yeah, we're happy with twenty five percent. Yeah, four twenty five cents for a gallon of, of historically yeah. anything over four dollars a gallon. We were screaming it was going to crash the economy. Mm-hmm. And now it's over four dollars a gallon. We're acting like it's a good thing. Well, look, it came down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's yeah, never it was been five, so we'll this take high for twenty-five. Yeah, it's never been this high for an extended period of time like this. Mm-hmm. All right. See why things are costing more. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anything else today? Um. So one, one other thing, a quick thing on, on pyrometers. We get guys calling up with um, you know, what your pyrometer is supposed to read. And it, it really doesn't supposed to read anything because it changes depending on load and throttle position, and RPM, and, you know, it's constantly moving. What we look for is what is the maximum amount that you see. And, you know, these pyrometers, a lot of these trucks are old. Um, we get bounced around quite a bit in a truck. And I'll have guys call, oh, it doesn't get over 600 degrees pulling a hill. Then there's something wrong. Something's wrong. You know, yeah. Pyrometers need, we need, you know, they need replaced if they're old. They can be tested. We, we bought a little tester that um, you, you'll sit at 300 degrees and then you look at your gauge to see if it's 300, then 600, 900, 1200. And there's like a, a green and red, which is considered good or bad. Yeah. And if it's in the red, then the gauge is no good. Um, you check the gauge first. If it's good, then you put the lead wire on it and check it that way. If it's off, then the lead wire is bad. And thermal couple generally works or doesn't. Right. It usually doesn't give a false reading. But, you know, these pyrometers are important. And if you have one in there, you got to make sure it works. I get a lot of guys call and I'll ask them, what's your pyrometer doing? And well, it doesn't work. <laughs> it, it needs to work. Yes, it's it a pretty important piece of equipment. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And not terribly the, expensive. Right. And that, that lesson about it's not so important that it's a certain number it's, you know, what's normal for yours in all these different situations. We could say that about almost every gauge on the truck, that you shouldn't worry so much about an absolute number, but you should be watching your gauges enough that you're familiar with what all your gauges are doing at different times, whether it's temperatures or voltage or whatever, oil pressure, you know, no two trucks are identical. So just get used to knowing what all your gauges look like when things are working right. And then if something isn't working right, go back and check all your gauges and see if there's a clue there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, gauges are important. They, they, when people call with gauge readings and, and accurate ones, it really helps us yeah. give them direction of what to look for. Yeah really does all right we are going to talk to bruce now bruce welcome oh, let me hit the right button there bruce good morning Kevin? yes good morning can you hear me i can what's on your mind today 
I just want to say that back in the race car days, there was a saying, metal fatigue is a racer's biggest enemy. But let's look at a semi-truck pulling a hill. It's doing, it's working harder than a race car did because a race car has no load. So metal fatigue is a trucker's biggest enemy. Whether it's a frame braking, frame or a spring, a spring hanger, or a valve, connecting rod, rocker arms, but stuff can break from metal fatigue. And then people always want to know, why did it break? Well, (laughs) sometimes things break. Yeah. And there's no answer. Yeah. So... That, um, and I had that call yesterday. Yeah. We've t- I dropped the valve. We've talked about that before when people have something like this happen and they'll say, but I've been doing oil samples. Why didn't I know? There's no indication of metal yeah. fatigue. You're just not going to see it. There's, there's no yeah. way to know it's coming. And when it happens, it just happens. Um, you know, I always remember mine and it's kind of funny. We have David Counts on with us today. He's going to be up next. Uh, I When I was down at his shop, and, you know, I'm bobtailing a truck with 700,000 miles on it. Engine runs great. No indication anything's wrong. And you break a rod. I, no load, no nothing. I, I was barely, I was right. 35 miles an hour and decelerating when it broke. Came right through the block. You, there's no way to know that's coming. And you didn't call me and ask me why that broke. No, because I knew you wouldn't have any more answers than I did. I don't know why it broke. And why did it break then? You know, why then? There was like zero load on it. You know, it was hardly working. It wasn't hot. It was, why did it break right then? Well, it remembers every time it was gouged on its entire life. (laughs) No kidding. So I had a guy with an N14 and a mechanic was pulling the head off and pulled the exhaust pipe off. And he said, there's something wrong with your truck. And the owner said, what? He said, well, there's no soot and carbon in here. He said, it shouldn't be this clean. <laughs> and the guy said, oh, I run the Max Mileage Stillborn Catalyst. And the mechanic just was, he just couldn't get over that. So anyway, Doug Weber, Columbus, Ohio, T680. 10 speed, 325 rears, low pro 22.5 tires, ISX 2013, full emissions. He runs dry band, averages 20 some thousand pounds in the box, Columbus, Ohio to New Jersey. So I said we need a new Stanton and the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And then he has to go to North Jersey and then he comes back with the. Uh, a little bit heavier load. He he does the Kevin Rutherford speed. He tries to stay right around 60. At 60 miles an hour, he's at 1,250 RPM, three pounds of boost. Wow. He's running the max mileage catalyst and the mileage improver. He's just under nine mile per gallon. Outstanding. For his 30-day average. And... He keeps, he keeps at a three pound of boost when he can, of course. Right. You know, Pennsylvania Turnpike certainly doesn't have a lot of level on you that is I-70 from Columbus to New Stanton. No, they don't. But uh, there's a case in point. He leaves early and he said he has plenty of time. It's 470 miles out and 560 back. But here's one when he's bobtailing 13.3 mile per gallon. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And after 57, 57 mile an hour. There you Every go. time I hear 57, 58, I think of you, Kevin. Every yeah. time I hear that. So I said, well, that's a KR speed right there. Yeah, and, you know that. Uh, yeah, 13 speed. But that wasn't random. That number happened because of that truck I bought from Swift. Back in the early 90s, Swift had all their trucks governed at 57. They were governed there. That was wow. it. That was as fast as that truck would go. And I bought it thinking uh, I could turn it up. You couldn't. That thing was so gear bound and it, it, you just, there wasn't much left to turn up on that thing. So I just left it there. And when I bought it, I was in Ohio anyway with the 55 mile an hour speed limit. And if you did 60 in Ohio, you were eventually going to get a ticket at 60. They would write them all day long. So I just left it at 57 yeah. and I stopped getting tickets. I used to get, when I first started driving, I would get one speeding ticket a year, it seemed like. And I got that truck mm-hmm. and it was set at 57. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to leave it there. And I left it there and then they changed the speed limit. And then I moved down to Florida and speed limits kept getting faster. And I just left it at 57 because that's about all that truck had. The way it was specced, you couldn't get much yeah. more out of it. And it was the first truck that just got outstanding fuel economy. I mean, in the early 90s, every other truck I had was getting five or five and a half. And all of a sudden, that got seven. And that was what got me interested in fuel economy because I saw all the savings. You know, I'm looking at, I had three trucks at the I time. Swear. And I'm like, why am I spending all this money on fuel on these two trucks, but not on this one? So you're a product of Swift. Can you believe that? Yeah, Swift taught me about fuel economy. First time. <laughs> wow. You know, the wow. other, that, that you know, may that have been, been that, that may have been one of the best purchases of a truck I ever made. So this <laughs> was a, a white Volvo. This was early 90s. I think, I think it was a 1990. And I think I bought it in 91. They Swift bought, it was a single axle sleeper, which was a really unusual truck. And I wanted it because I was pulling doubles. They bought a bunch of these because they had a contract in Arizona somewhere pulling doubles. Well, right after they ordered all these trucks and got them in, that contract got canceled. And they put all these up for sale. I bought it, it had 30,000 miles on it. And I got this thing for like Wow. $72,000. It was a, just an incredible buy. And it turned out to just be an amazing truck that had the 11 liter. That was my first 11 liter. And it was just an amazing truck. Wow. Okay. So this goes to show if you drive by the boost gauge, you use uh, and use the catalyst and the mileage improver. By the way, we're going to try to incorporate both of those together and still keep it at one ounce to 25 gallon. Uh, Dr. Jane's out of, out of the country right now. And as soon as she gets back uh, in another week, we're going to be working on that. That's our next project. All right. All right. Well, one, uh, one quick thing, totally off topic. I might've mentioned this to you last week. Did you see the new water sport? Did I mention this to you? You'd mentioned it. Yeah. Um, So wing foiling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I went and bought it in the boat magazine. I went and bought all the equipment. 
I started to learn how to fly and the wing yesterday. are you doing yesterday. it? Well, I started to learn how to fly the wing yesterday. They say you, you should spend as much time on land as possible learning how to fly the wing before you try to get it in the water on the board because then you're dealing with the foil. I'll probably play around tomorrow. I think we're going to get good wind uh, on a stand-up paddleboard. So I'll get out in the water with the paddleboard and I'll play around with the wing and then try the foil. What is your water temperature there in the Columbia? I have no idea. I don't know what it is. If, if you I, pull wetsuit? Um, this time of year, you wouldn't have to. I will. I'll wear, well, I've got a short sleeve that I'll wear a summer wetsuit. And I'll wear a, a, a an impact vest, too. Because I have a feeling there's going to be some pretty spectacular crashes with that foil. You're going to be bouncing your chest off the front of the board. Yeah, so I, I think I'll wear the impact and the water and everything else, but uh, I think I'll wear that. I, next you know, week, if you're talking like this, you'll know <laughs> yeah, you have broken ribs. You'll know why. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like a lot of fun. We just, yesterday, when I put it all together and took it out, we just had horrible wind. We had an east wind, which is really bad because... The river's flowing west, so if you get an east wind blowing west, it's really difficult because you're just fighting not to go downstream all day. So the conditions here, most of the summer, the river's flowing one way and the wind's blowing the other, which is perfect because then you get the big waves and that's what everybody wants. Although with the foil, it doesn't really matter because your board doesn't touch the water. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. I saw. I've seen him in the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's really catching on quick here. You know the other thing that I saw that's kind of crazy, the board and the foil is like the new thing. So people are using that with a kite. They're doing the foils with all kinds of things. I see surfers now are using them. So they've got surfboards wow. with a foil on them, and you ride a wave just like you do on a normal surfboard, except the board comes up out of the water, or rides on the foil. You should take a week and go to Aruba. Yeah. And uh, in Aruba, they do it. They did a lot of that wind surfing when I was there. I'm sure they're they're doing the uh, the wings, the wings. with yeah. the hydrofoil on because they have this perfect wind all the time in those bays down there. Yeah, we have really good wind here. It's just um, it's more difficult. It's not that real nice, steady wind you get on the oceans. We get crazy, gusty winds, so it's a little more difficult. The other thing I saw that's pretty crazy, I saw a board with a foil and an electric motor and a prop. Wow. Yeah, the board, it's self-powered, and you have a remote in your hand. That board was Oh, yeah, also, okay. Yeah. But no, no foil. No, no foil. No, yeah. the the foil is, this yeah. is confusing. The foil is what's under the board. The wing is what you hold in your hand. So there's I'm wing. I'm talking about the wing. I'm, yeah. yeah. No wing. Right. Yeah, you just stand on the board with nothing. And you've got a remote in your hand and it's got its own motor and prop. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. A lot eight, of things. A lot eight, of water. $8,000 for that board, though. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a... Not yeah, I've a only seen board. videos of it. I haven't seen it in real life. 
Well, I'm thinking today, I don't think we're going to have any kind of wind at all. It's not looking like it. But tomorrow, I think we're supposed to get a good, strong west wind. So I think tomorrow is going to be my inaugural flight. We'll see what happens. Has Leroy been on yet? Uh, Leroy has not been on yet. I'm going to come back to Leroy here in a little bit. Pete and Leroy were having some issues with the Internet, and they were on phones. Now they're reconnected. So... Uh, but we're also okay. we're about to hear from uh, a special guest today. David Counts is with us. Okay. Yeah, so we're going to bring David in right now because he's next up on the board. David, welcome back. Hey, what's up, Kevin? How you guys doing? Good. We haven't heard from you in a while. What have you been up to? Oh, man, just working on filters. I've got a lot of new <laughs> stuff we got going on, and we've actually... Um, Decided we would 3D print some model stuff and really makes it a little quicker for us. To, yeah, it's 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 a lot faster, you know, as far as CNC in it. Of course, it's not a production piece; it's just a piece that we can put in and prototype it. And, right. Oh, uh, it happens. You can do that within you know hours of drawing it. You know, versus a day or two. Okay. So anything to make it simpler and. Try to get right. more product out and new pieces. Uh, you know, I was sitting here listening to you a while ago, and so I decided I would Google this uh, board you're talking about. Isn't that crazy? Yes, it's crazy. And you, you're going to have to have video of this, so you know that, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt. So, <laughs> you know, I when I first moved here, the kiteboarding thing is huge here. They... they it was invented right here in front of me to, on the river here. Um, and I started playing around with it. I don't get along with all those ropes. I somehow, I swear, I just get tangled up in everything. I don't know what it is with me and ropes and lines. And I got thinking about it. I'm like, this probably isn't a good idea for me. Um, so I, I played around with it a little bit. And then I thought, nah, plus it's, you got to have the right spot to launch the kite and, you know, trying to recover the kite. It's really pretty hard to do by yourself. So uh, when I saw this wing, I'm like, well, that solves all the problems of all the ropes and trying to launch. And you just grab a hold of this wing and you hold it yourself. Yeah, I was sitting there looking at it. I've seen this in Gulf Shores. I mean, we live on the coast, so right. I've actually seen this done. And it's pretty cool. I mean, it's very, very smooth. That's I mean, the thing. You know, once yeah. The, yeah. No, no matter how rough, I mean, once the board's out of the water, and I guess you're on the foil, is what that would be? The foil. Um, yep. It's yeah, it's very smooth, you know. You're not bouncing around any at all. No, and it's it's like you would imagine, like racing and everything else these days. It's so technical. That foil, the shape and the size of the front foil and the back foil, you've got two of them, and... I was just, I was trying to figure it all out when I was in the storm. Just like, just give me a foil. I just got to go get started. Then I'll figure all this stuff out. But you, you can get crazy with different foil. Almost everybody, if you're really into this, you're probably going to have three different wings based on wind. Like I bought a four and a half meter wing, but I'll probably at some point get a six meter for really light wing day or wind days. And then maybe a three or a three and a half for when the wind's really strong. And then you can get different size boards and different size, you know, foils with different lift. And it gets pretty crazy when you start putting it all together, but it looks like a lot of fun. It does. So I had, uh, 
the the interesting thing, this foil is not new. When I go back to, I grew up water skiing and, you know, did a ton of this and then switched to wakeboard later on when the wakeboards got popular. But there was a time where they were doing this thing at SeaWorld. And there was actually a SeaWorld in Ohio where I lived. And in their water ski show, they had this thing called an air chair. And you would sit in it like a chair. And that foil was underneath this chair. So you would sit in the chair and strap yourself in, which doesn't sound like a good idea to me. And then you could use that foil to do all kinds of tricks because you could dive and then shoot it out of the water. So I saw it at SeaWorld. And then one day I'm out at the lake and somebody had one. So I got a chance to try it. But man, the crashes on that were just awful because you're strapped in. When you crash, it's like it was just ugly can't get away from it yeah you just just keeps you with it yeah yeah that was kind of a mess so this looks like uh you know i i got thinking i spent a ton of money on equipment it's not cheap but i got thinking i used to have to buy a boat which was really expensive and then you had to put gas in the boat then you had to fix the boat then you had to trailer it back and forth all the time now once i bought the equipment i'm kind of done i can go do this as much as i want doesn't cost me anything now you know those saying about a boat, right? <laughs> nothing but a hole in the water. That you throw money into. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Right, yeah, Bruce? I have one. <laughs> Bruce can vouch for that too. That's I'm right. Sure. Yeah, but I I uh I just sold my ski nautique this week and uh and I haven't used it for six years because I'm not doing skiing, but uh it's sad. I hate to see them go. I mean I love I love boats, trucks, motorcycles, snowmobiles, cars, and it's got an engine in it. And you got to love it. That's right. Yeah, that's me. I'm, you know, I'm all, <laughs> I'm all about racing. I mean, I, I'm still racing yeah. today as hard as I've ever been. So, yeah. And, and don't know when I'll give it up. All right. So, David, what's uh, what's the latest filter you're working on? Oh, actually, I'm working on one that's, uh, let me see what number that is. I, I reference them all those numbers now. It's it's actually for the F650. I know that's a small truck, but um, we have so many calls for that filter. It's just unbelievable. So we actually made a new one. I actually have it in the truck today. As we speak, we're running it, seeing what it's going to do. And, uh, you know, my philosophy, if just because they make a filter or just because we make one, if it doesn't work, I won't produce it. I mean, if, if I can't see at least two to three tenths out of it, then right. I usually just bail out because I can't help it at that point. And there's no use to be making it at that point. So. But that's, I guess that's probably our newest one we got out. Of course, the twenty five ninety nine. that's for the uh, international. Um, those seem to be a pretty hot topic. But that's one that, that we're having to have cores in this we build our pieces on the top side then we use the bottom core section of, of that filter uh, I'm actually working on where we won't have to do that um, most people send the course back to us but you know we have a few that's not interested in it so um, if you have them and you know you want one uh, we have those available we keep you know probably a couple dozen of those in the in stock all the time uh, I think I think Bruce has even got a couple of them so Good. Good. All right. So, you know, I got thinking there had to be a time, probably a long time, where 
there were only a couple filter models for all the trucks. They were all round. They were all about the same. That certainly changed these days, hasn't it? Oh, my God, has it? I mean, you know, I'm seeing a lot of the round filters come back in some trucks. Well, good. Uh, versus, you know, the, the, the longer filters that we make, uh, like the 6127 and stuff like that, or square, you should say. Uh, I've noticed some round ones coming back. Those are fairly easy for me to build because I have so many different end caps. Um, it makes it pretty simple. Right. The ones that are tough to build, like the 6127, that's more rectangled, those are specific only. And so those pieces I make only fit one truck. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think right now we've probably got um, 40 something different filters out. Wow, that we have in production. Wow, and uh, some I have de- I have deleted over the past. I've deleted some out, and some I've brought back that you know we did back in you know ten years ago. And, <laughs> right. Um, you know, so it's crazy how that works. But you know, I guess every seven years things change. So. Well, you know, Pete was talking earlier. He spends all of his time on the phone, and I can vouch for this. I spent a couple weeks there at their shop, and every time I went in to his office to talk to him, he was on the phone, and he was talking about big cam Cummins, mechanical engines. He spends all day long on big cams now. All right, that's just crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, talking about Pete and all those guys, um, they're probably one of our largest stocking dealers that we have. So if, if, you know, if we don't have it, we actually divert them to them. Good. And if they don't have it, then we figure nobody's probably got it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But, you know, you, you were talking earlier about, um, you know, just getting product and parts and pieces in. I mean, we're dealing with the same thing. You know, we, we make all of our stuff from raw material. Right. And just some of our raw materials is incredible to get. I mean. That, that seems um, crazy. We ordered. It, it does, and you would think it, it would be plentiful, but it's right. not. I mean, our, our aluminum blanks uh, that I order, I actually order it in 12-foot sticks, um, 12 inches wide, roughly, is a, is a good average size of it. But when we order it, I mean, I have places that won't sell me, but like so many pieces. Really? I see that. Yes. You know, it, I- I, I guess I can understand when there's a shortage of a specific sensor and, you know, or these specific parts, finished parts. I, I get all that because, you know, any one disruption in the supply chain, some of these finished parts have so many pieces coming from different places. You can get that. But a raw material, why are we having shortages of raw materials? That doesn't even make sense to me. No, you know, like here, I'm on the Gulf Coast, so all of our industry around us revolves around shipbuilding. Right. So, you know, and, and a lot of the new ships, a lot of them's aluminum. So we buy from the same place that okay. the shipbuilder buys from. Yeah. So if 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 you don't allot uh, how much you're going to use at the first of the year to the, to the steel company or aluminum or company or whatever, if you don't know a lot to them, when it comes time and for you to order, and just say you ordered, you allotted a hundred pieces. Well, just say I use a hundred pieces six months into my year. Yeah. Well, getting another hundred is tough to do uh, because I didn't allot that at the first right. of the year. Okay. Wow. 
So has this ever been a problem before? No, it's this never been new. a problem. Yeah, that's not a good it's sign. New. No, and it's, you know, the, the aluminum, you know, one month is, is way up, the next month is way down. So you can't even take an average. I mean, I order $50,000 of aluminum a month, and used to, they would, they would come in in the semi, and we'd spend, you know, an hour to a half hour unloading it. Now they come in, and $50,000 worth of aluminum is not very much. <laughs> I mean, so it takes, you know, two scoops of the forklift, and you're empty, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, that's and not you're good. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. But, oh, man. And we, we try to keep up with it. Um, everything that's done at the mobile store, it's pretty easy for me to handle. Yeah. But everything that's done in Indiana, it's a little tougher because I'm not there all the time. Right. But, you know, for for some breaking news, I am, hopefully before the year's out, we're going to move that plant to Mobile. Oh, are you? So okay. everything's going to be done. Yeah, we've been planning this for probably the last year or so. Uh, Roger, my partner in it, he's getting older, so he's he's like wanting to retire, I guess. Slow down a so, bit. Uh, huh? Like I was telling him. Got it. He, he does. And yeah. look, he deserves it. I mean, yeah, he, does. he really does. Yeah. All so right. it's, it's time probably to move it all to Mobile and uh, get it here and, and, you know, work on new pieces. There you go. All right. So we're going to hear from uh, Leroy. Phone lines are really starting to pile up, so we're going to have to get some calls here. If you have any questions about fleet air filters, today's the day. We've got the guy here. So pick up the phone and call us, 855 3835 So, uh, Leroy. We saved the best for last today. What's on your mind? Oh, not too much. Not too much. Um, anyway, so I'll try to keep it short, but I had an interesting but sad story this week. Um, I had a guy with a Select Plus engine inside of a truck that originally had a Select engine. And um, there was a mismatch between the ECM and the engine. And if you look at the side of the engine, you look for a select plus ECM. And according to the part number on the side of it, it says it's a select plus. So to kind of go back and recap, select plus ECMs have to go with select plus engines and select ECMs have to go with select engines. Like they, you can't mix and match them. Okay. So we were looking through this and this truck runs poorly, has weird electrical issues and check engine lights that it shouldn't have. So we started going down through the troubleshooting tree for uh, the select side of it. And we sort of noticed like, hey, we're doing, we're doing troubleshooting for a select. We're like, well, this is supposed to be a select plus. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I look at the part number. The part number is for a select plus. I kind of have them memorized. Right. Well, make a long story short, this guy had an engine. It blew up. He put a select plus in there. And in order to get this to run correctly, you have to, like I said, get a select plus ECM for it. Yeah. So this guy went online and bought one from a certain place that remanufactures them in Texas. I hate to talk bad about any company, <laughs> but they, I get a lot of bad stories from them. Anyway, what they did was they took the guts of a select ECM and put a select plus case on it. No way. So it would be like if you bought oh, a no. and you popped the hood <laughs> and added it. Oh, man. I'm like, 
see it at first and I should have because none of the connectors would have bolted up or anything. I was like, I don't understand. It looked like a fairly nice swap. I didn't know what was going on. But yeah, so they, they kind of, you know, screwed that guy up a bunch of money because oh, now he has man. to buy an ECM. Yeah. $3,000 plus. And you have to buy harnesses and who oh. knows how much they are, but they probably have a comp. <laughs> and uh, and then all the, the labor that's going to take to rewire the whole thing. So the, the problem was in the beginning, when the select engine blew up, they, sh- they should have either swapped everything or they should have put a select engine back in it. Really, the root of all those guys' problems is somebody just was like, oh, I found another N14. I'll just yeah. put this one in there. Yeah. And that's for just so, not knowing what you're working with specifically just gets you in all sorts of trouble. Yeah. So since so I want to add, okay. I want to add to that story too, because I took the initial phone call. Go ahead, Bruce. The guy's son called me. This fellow seventy four years old. The uh, been in trucking his entire life. His son called me and said, "My dad had a you guys do a remote tune, and we're not really happy with it." He lived north of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I said, oh, "My God, when you're that close, bring it in. Let's put it on the dyno." And they told me that they had put a different block in it. And I said, well, if you have a power issue, we need to check and see where the timing is. So we need to pull an injector and pull a rocker box and put the timing to win it. And then we need to pull the accessory drive pulley off and pull the plug out and look in to make sure that the dots and the dashes are lined up. That's the cam gear to the accessory drive gear because you set the overhead off the accessory drive pulley. And if, if, they didn't line stuff up, then you can't set the overhead, and we don't know where the timing was. So the father called me the next day, and said, man, that's going to be about $1,700. And I said, well, I mean, uh, you're having issues. So he said, I don't want to spend that kind of money. I said, well, look, $425, bring it in, put it on the dyno. We'll do the, uh, the pressure testing intake system like we always do. And it had a massive leak. Leroy, what was leaking? Um, not sure on that one. Mounting gas. Intake manifold mounting Is that what it was? Okay. Yeah, they were, were okay. not on correct. So that means the people that built the engine didn't put that on correctly. The three gaskets, I mean, it's not rocket scientists to do that. So now Leroy finds this electrical issue, and I quoted this guy, $425 oh, alone, oh, not oh, be more than $425. Oh, You'll be here about two hours. And now here's where the problems start because of all these hack jobs and all these other shops that really don't know what they're doing. They really don't take the time to study things and they start mismatching parts like, like select plus with select and all big cams. My God, they'll mismatch big cams. And then they'll do it with caterpillars. They'll do it with 346Es, with C15s. And this becomes a problem when we're trying to help people over the telephone and you got to have a quoted price. And then it comes in and we find a catastrophe. So, yeah. So, Bruce, you know, over the yeah, years... Yeah, you hear it, my boy said I get a little excited on that yeah, stuff, so... Yeah, I know. So, you and I have talked about this over the years, and you've told me about projects where you're swapping engines out, and even times where the engines seem really, really similar. The one that comes to mind, um, Al Hemerson's 14-liter uh, uh, non-emission for a 14-liter emission, or I think it was the other way around. It, it was the right, same engine. That's right. 
It was the same engine. There's some electronic differences. And when you told me the nightmare, trying to get that thing done and how much yep. work. And here's a case where, I mean, when you think of a Selector, a Select Plus, it sounds like the same engine. They're almost identical. And yet, look at all the problems. So every time I see online and somebody says, man, I'm just tired of dealing with this engine. I'm going to yank it out and put this in instead. I think, oh, you should just get rid of that truck and go find a truck with the engine you want. Swapping engines today seems like just a real big mistake. Right. On the Al Hammerson deal, Al's a great mechanic. He's a really sharp guy, and he's great with his hands, and he's very smart. And Al and our mechanic, who worked for corporate Detroit at the time, those two guys worked eight hours a day, so 16 hours a day for three solid weeks. Yeah. And it was $20,000 in labor and some parts to make that conversion. And that's not charging for Al's time. I mean, Al donated his own time to his truck. So, Yeah. And that's the the block. Everything was virtually identical. One was emissions, one wasn't. And three weeks, two really good qualified people. That's crazy. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. yeah, and we see that a lot. Um, so one other thing, David, since you're on the phone here, because I always thought this was hilarious. Um, we're talking about the fact that if you're going to put another engine in a truck, it better be, you know, damn close to what you took out. It should be identical. So when I was down at David's place, and we were working on our trailer back then, and I was working on the tractor, and then I through the rod um and i'm scrambling to try to find an engine we had the cmc coming up and we're standing there i remember we're all standing in the shop and we're talking about where am i going to find an engine and this guy walks up and david he was a friend of yours i don't know if you're going to remember this or not um was he from Mississippi, maybe. I think he was. And he walks up. and was from Louisiana. Okay. So he walks up and we're standing there talking about where am I going to find an engine? And here's what he says. He said, oh, I've got a friend and he's got some trucks and I know he's got an engine for sale. And you could tell this guy didn't know a lot about trucks. He just said, it's a truck and he's got an engine for sale. And I'm thinking, okay, what are the odds, you know, that this random guy who just walked up and said, my friend has an engine for sale. What are the odds that it's going to be the right engine? So we call the guy, sure enough, perfect 12-7, exactly what I was looking for. What are the odds? I remember that. Is it, wasn't that crazy? I, 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 that was crazy. You know, you was talking about... You guys were talking about fatigue earlier. And when Kevin was pulling in our driveway, I was out front, and I witnessed that motor doing what it done. (laughs) He was on the deacceleration side, and it hung a rod out the side, but it snapped the rod. The rod literally broke right above the crank journal is where it broke at. Yeah. And it, it... it never hurt the bearing in it. Remember that? What the I engine mean, was still running was just a, fine. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was crazy. Yeah, but I, I'll never forget that. I mean, yeah, it was. So, know, I, I still have the white Freightliner. Oh, do you really? Yeah. Yeah, so, it's still running daily. Yeah, that was. Uh, that was the truck I was talking about. That was the first truck that had all the crazy. Uh, 
you know, kind of autonomous stuff on it, the radar and all that stuff. That, mm -hmm. um, that was quite a project truck when I built that one. But yeah, I still remember that guy walking up saying, ah, I've got a friend and I think he's got a truck and he's got that engine. And I'm like, yeah, okay, great. We call him and it's exactly what I'm looking for. And it was a hell of a deal. Somebody, remember the story yeah. behind that engine? Bruce, somebody did, did they do an out of frame? The Maybe they did an in-frame on it. They did a full in-frame. I think they replaced the bull gear. And then they, they ran it. They brought it back. And they went to change the oil, just like we always say, just go run it one time, get that oil out of there. And when they drained the oil, they found a bunch of metal parts, like big parts. And then decided that something must have been wrong with the engine and they just let it sit there. So I bought it and I said, yeah. look, if it's tore up, I'm not paying this for it, but I'll, I'll buy it. I'll bring it here. We'll look at it. If everything's fine, you know, I'll pay you what you want for it. And it wasn't much uh, for having a new in frame on it. We couldn't find anything wrong with it. I don't know what where the metal came from when they when they drained the oil out, but we couldn't find anything wrong with it. As far as I know. I sold that truck to one of my listeners, and it wasn't that long ago. I heard from him. He's still using it. Wow. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's kind of a crazy time. That was it. You know, hey, do you guys have any uh, knowledge on radiator caps? I don't want to change the subject, but it just came to me. Radiator caps, how often should they be changed and the different problems they create? You know, talking about a radiator cap, I'm going to give you a good scenario on a Hena. You know, that's a really low-pressure cap. And those things, we change. I got three of the Henos, and um, I change them out once a year because the caps do go bad. Probably not a bad practice You're if you have out. one of those that go bad. On, a, on an A-cert that's been singled, Got one point million three hundred eighty-five thousand. Does ten thousand mile oil changes? His uh, oil analysis are phenomenally clean, but he was uh, blowing some coolant, and we had him change the radiator cap, and the problem seems to be fixed. I know years ago I had a sixty-one Corvette, and I couldn't get heat out of the radiator, and it was the radiator cap. So it's something that's very economical, something we always overlook, but there's probably a life, whether it's three, four, five years, a half a million miles, that you should change a radiator cap because you know, of the problems it can create. You know, it seems to me, Bruce, that we used to talk about those problems a lot more. That used to be a fairly common thing. Somebody would call their, you know, pressurizing or overheating or whatever and we even used to say have you changed the cap i mean we used to just ask as a general question if there was coolant or mm -hmm. heating issues we would ask did you change the cap we don't do that much anymore we probably should mm -hmm. it's, uh, back to that basics right yeah that's right all right, speaking of the basics, the phone calls are piling up, so we're going to jump into them right now. We're going to get started in Pennsylvania. Charlie, welcome to the program. Good morning, gentlemen. I sent you an oral sample, Kevin. 
All right, let me take a look. What do we got going on here? Uh, huh. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, so I'm not really seeing anything to be too... What are you concerned about on this? Why was it the last oil sample was 52 on the lead and this oil sample... There's six on the lead, and I didn't change anything. Yeah. Um, what was going on? What's the possibility? Uh, I've got it's called filter clean bypass filter on there. The filter sets on top of where I check the oil. What's the chance of a buildup being in there and it all of a sudden came out? But I also pulled the oil sample this time from the port on the front cover. I sat about from where the from the bypass filter. So you know what I think I'm seeing possibilities. here. You know what I think I'm seeing here because I went back and looked historically. It's nice when you have a lot of samples to go back and look at. Uh, back in December of 21. Um, you had a real high lead number at 67. Then it, it went from 67 to dropped to 17 um, by March. That was a lower Which oil I changed the, So I changed the rods of mains in February so, the 16th. Here, here's here's what I see happening. When you try, so when you ran your oil to 40,000 miles, you ended up with high lead at 67. The next one you changed or sampled at 15,000. So less than half and you had 17. Then you were at 15,000 again and you were at 10. Then you went to 34,000 on your sample and you were at 52 again. So you're seeing these elevated numbers every time you push your sampling out. You're, you're pushing it out more than double, and you're seeing the elevated number. But the other thing I'm looking at, you're also, we're at an engine with, oh, wait a minute, this is confusing. How did you have one point? Yeah, it is. I don't know why. I don't know why they did. I don't know where that 1.5 came from. Okay. So because it's just, that engine's it's only just got over a million. A million 87. Okay. So uh, I think, on it now since the initial rebuild. I think what you're seeing here. But when I had that, when I had that 67, now Bruce goes back on the emails to February the 18th. We changed the, I changed the main and rod bearings, and they had to polish the okay. number five. So, so here's. It actually needed rods and mains when I did it that time. Here's what I think is happening, and, and Bruce, Pete, David, anybody jump in with your thoughts. So, we had high lead when he extended his drains and his samples out. Um, but even when he was doing 14,000 mile samples, when you have lead at 17 and 10, that that's high. I mean, we, we shouldn't see that kind of lead. I'm thinking, here's my thought, that we got to a million miles or darn close to it. You were at 970 some when you had the bearing issue the first time. 
the engine's up there miles. We're starting to get wear. You put new bearings in it. I have a feeling we either have a bent crank or the blocks, you know, out of alignment, and we're just wearing the bearings again. (laughs) Anybody have any thoughts? Okay. Now, I agree, Kevin. It's something we had talked about before. At this point, it's got to be it line bore issue or a um, bent crank and I also think we talked about his I he had, had a picture of his bearings I think he sent it to Bruce um, them in order and then look at the wear pattern if the old ones were worn uneven then that's a sure sign that we have a line bore or bent crank issue yeah I, I think that's what we've got here because there, there's just no, there's nothing about the oil that would cause excessive wear metals. There's nothing wrong with the oil. The oil's in perfect condition. There's no reason we should have these excessive wear metals, except something is wearing more than it should. And with the bearings, it's going to be the crank or the line bore. I just think we're getting near the end of the life on this thing. It probably, if, if you were going to keep this one, it probably needs an auto frame. Remember Nick Carter okay. had that on. Nick Carter had that at the CN, last CNC on a new glider. He was going through bearings, I think, in two hundred and twenty-eight thousand miles. Right, right. I think that's what you're seeing here. I mean, we have less than. I mean, we have right at about uh, ten thousand. Is all we've got, or ten thousand or hundred, hundred thousand. Um, right at about a hundred thousand. But these bearings are wearing again. Okay, because I've got, I think it's about 12,000 more miles and I'll pull another sample. What I'm thinking is there's buildup that I've, I've never, that bypass systems been on there for five years. I've never took it back off and cleaned it. And the sample that I was pulling was coming from the bottom of it. Yeah, I I think you're barking up the wrong tree here. I think if you think this is a filter problem, I think you're going to be shocked when you find out you need a set of bearings again. I don't think it's a filter problem. I've never seen a filter that builds up stuff in it. I don't, I'm not as familiar with the filter you're using, but that just doesn't make sense to me. They, they, there, there shouldn't be any place where we're building up wear metals. If we, if there are, I'd get rid of that filter because it's giving you incorrect readings. Then, on our oil sample, we that that's not good. That's why I pulled it from a different place on the motor this time, instead of pulling it from the bottom part of the bypass filter like I have been. It's got about a three inch long by quarter inch tube that the oil comes out of to get to my sample bottle, I pulled it right off of the front cover because that, that mo- this motor has a little push valve on it that you can check it right at the front cover. So, And that's where this last sample came from. So I guess at this point, there's not because much. Because the to, even came down. Yeah, there's not much to do at this point except keep an eye on it. And maybe keep taking your sample from this other place if you think that may be an issue. At, at some point, if 
this stops and you don't see more lead and we never see copper, then I guess you're going to be fine. If you keep wearing lead at some point, we're going to see copper. I, I, I think you've got an issue here that is causing bearing wear, but at this point, we, all you can really do is wait and see. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll run another 12,000 for another one because now, if it's here, another, if it's a bearing issue, they're under warranty through Detroit, then Detroit put them in. Well, then here's what I would do if I were you. If, he, if this could potentially be a bearing issue or a warranty issue on the bearings, you need to be talking to them right now because they are going to have, Pete, you could probably jump in on this. They're probably going to have very strict criteria on what you have to do to prove that warranty claim. And you need to start on that now. Yeah, I'm not sure okay. if a line would be covered under warranty. Yeah, if, I think if, if it was patient uh, issues, they would cover it. Uh, defective bearing, they would cover it. I think if it's um, a line board, I, I don't think they're going to cover that. Or, or a bent crank. They're going to say our, our bearing didn't bent. fail and our, our installation didn't fail. You have another problem causing this wear. Okay. It's worth a phone call. Yeah, absolutely. D, what do they set the uh, crank thrust on those things at, on those motors? You know, I don't know on the Detroit. And this is a I, 14 liter. I've never built liter. one myself. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I don't know what it would be. All right, Charlie, keep us informed. All you can really do on this one is keep an eye on it, and let's just see what happens with that wear. Let's, uh, calls are piling up. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Wade, welcome to the program. Hey, guys, good to talk to you. Um, just got a few questions here. Last Monday, I took delivery, a uh, company driver um, took delivery of a new Kenworth T680 Next Gen with a, the X15, I think it's the 505 horsepower. Um, just have a few questions, mainly probably all for Lee Roy. Um, it's got a few quirky things about it that are different than the truck I came out of. I came out of a CM2250 in a T660. So the Jake brake doesn't seem to come on at all on the cruise control. If it does, I haven't let it get high enough above the cruise speed. Um, is that something that can be adjusted? Yeah, you can have it set to, uh, to come on with the cruise and at what speed, and yeah, that's all customizable. Okay, and this also has a 12-speed uh, uh, Eaton Endurance, and the jig brake doesn't, also doesn't work. Like, it works in 12th, 11th, 10th, and then sometimes it works in 9th, sometimes it doesn't. Um, is there a way to turn on which gears it works on and when it, which it doesn't? Um, I would have to see why it's uh, turning on certain gears and whatnot. That sounds like some sort of strategy with the transmission, but um, that really shouldn't have too much to do with it. Because if you want the Jake brake, you should be allowed to have it. So, um, again, I think right. that's yeah, the Cummins Jake brake seems to be pretty uh, abusive on the drive line in the really low gears, like I'd say in the low range. But 
Um, it seems like if I'm in, if I start Jake breaking in 10th gear and go to ninth, it'll work. But if I start in 12th and want to go all the way down to ninth, it, it won't work in ninth. It won't work. I've never seen it work in seventh, sixth, seventh, and eighth so far. And if, but I've only got, you know, 2,800 miles on the truck so far. Yeah. Yeah. It mostly sounds like the configuration. Okay. Um, just a, a real quick question. I've thought about this for a while. Never wanted to call in about it, but if if someone were to get set up as a remote tuner with you, um, I work daytime, and you know, typically I'm off like five or six p.m. Do you guys do anything? Is there any way for a remote tuner to actually function if I were doing stuff like after six p.m.? Yeah, so we typically work uh, seven to seven, sometimes till eight, uh, seven days a week. So in your situation, you could do it a little bit after about seven o'clock, or if you wanted to, you could do it on the weekends. But uh, you know, something like eight, nine o'clock, or nine, ten o'clock. Yeah, probably not going to do that. But um, like I said, usually it's seven to seven, seven days a week. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that's good to know for the weekends too. I wasn't even figuring on the weekends, but I didn't know. I wasn't really sure how you guys worked that. If you sent the files over, and then I went out and did it, or. You had to you had to be in the office or at least be able to access your laptop. Yeah, as long as we have access to our laptop, uh, we can kind of just work around your schedule and get up to whatever we prefer to be hooked to it. That way, we can catch any sort of issues, not just send the file over. Uh, for instance, if we hook up to it and see some sort of check engine light or sensor not reading right. Like, hey, we're not going to tune this until this is fixed first. Um, okay. For a, a good case is if we log in something we see it has 200 counts being overheated. Yeah, we're not going to put a tune in it because it's on its way out. So, um, that's why, yeah, as, as long as we're around, um, we'll, we'll hook up to it and, you know, do whatever you need to do. Yeah, and what, Bruce or Leroy, what kind of, uh, what kind of startup cost is there involved in that? And would you consider a guy in my position, you know, I'm a company driver. I don't have a shop. I don't have anything just really interested in trucks, kind of a gearhead, but not a, any kind of train mechanic. Um, as far as startup costs, I think the laptop, um, I'm actually not sure. I think it's around $2,000. That includes the laptop, the data link, the software. 2850. Oh, 2850. Okay. Yeah, I'm not Bruce, what did you say the the startup cost for the catalyst is between five and six? Fifty one hundred dollars. Okay. To become a dealer. But to become a dealer, you know, it's best if you had a shop and you had a place where people can pull in with their truck and um, it's it's not working very well for people doing it from home. It works best for shops. Okay, but the the remote tuning would be a little more flexible on that particular issue. Right. I have a truck stop about a mile from my house, so that wouldn't typically be an issue. Yeah, no, we work with a lot of uh, you know guys like you. You're just drivers. You don't have a shop. They don't do too much stuff, but they kind of do it here and there. Uh, yeah, I don't see a problem with it. As long as you're not in any sort of area that you're like stepping on somebody else's toes, that would be the only only. Thing that we would say no okay yeah i live <laughs> you just mentioned somebody probably not far from me i live about 45 miles northeast of harrisburg so 
not probably yeah, kind of crime like that previous guy. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I had for today. All right. Thanks for the call. We're going to head off this time to Florida. Raymond, welcome to the program. Good morning. Uh, On the pyrometer thing, uh, mine runs 1,200 degrees. I got one inside the the, the, uh, manifold. The sensor right. is right in the manifold. It'll go up well. Right now, it's running. Uh, let's see, seven something. Seven. It runs seven to eight hundred all the time. But going up the hill, it'll go up twelve hundred pretty quick. And that's where I back off at. Well, that's where you want to be is twelve hundred degrees when your thermocouple is in the exhaust manifold. That's considered okay. the hot side. And what engine is right. it? What engine do you have? A fit. ISX 15, yeah. yeah. You you can take a an engine like that up to as high as 1,500. You just don't want to sustain it there. But 1,200 is really conservative, so you're okay. Okay, man. I appreciate the info, Larry. Yeah, uh, our cutoff point on the aluminum piston engines was 1,200, but on the uh, steel-top pistons, it can go much higher. Okay, cool. Uh, isn't it amazing how, how uh, that $5 sign over the fuel pump makes that right foot get lighter? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. I, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the LTL produce guy. I called in about six months ago. So I, could, I couldn't afford to go less than 75. Right now I'm running 63. So. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that's right. Conditions change. We better change when, when with you them. Have, when, you have time, when, you, when you have time, you use slow up these days. That's right. I don't know about the average guy here, though. I, I seem to be the, I'm with the prime drivers over here now. They're, they're, uh, everybody else still is passing me, so I don't know. Well, some of those some of those people Gundy think guy, that. Uh, guys don't care anyway, right? So, yeah. yeah, some of those people think the, the tougher things get, the faster they have to drive. That's all right. Yeah, because there's no question. This little truck, man. Since I had it peaked and tuned, or whatever you call it, uh, uh, it'll be the first one to top hill if you want it to be. But I, 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 that's not my goal. I don't care about that. I care about fuel mileage and how much. Really worry about being the first one to top the hill. There you go. There you go. All right, we're gonna keep rolling. The calls are piling up. We're gonna head off to Kansas City. Ray, welcome to the program. Hey, hello, you guys. Uh, I'm excited. I talked to Pete yesterday. Got the money sent out to have uh, my 2007 Kenworth T600. Uh, do an end frame and a front structure to it. And uh, I've got a, just a few questions. I'm coming up about 4,000 more miles where I do. I'm going to do my oil sample. I have the OPS on it. I'm going to go ahead and change the filters. And but I've been having to add. A lot of oil, slow by is getting, you know, getting worse. Uh, so I don't think I'm going to change the oil since we're looking at November to get this in the shop and, and rebuild it. Or do you think I should dump it and change it? Because this is going to be at about 70, 75,000 miles. And that's where I've normally been changing it because the lead had come up a little bit. Uh, 
every time I, I've been doing it once a year, which is about 75,000 miles for me. Hello? Anybody have any yeah. thoughts? Yeah. I I mean, I would change oil. I mean, we don't want to take a chance at this point. If the lead's high, I mean, look at the oil analysis, but I mean, the oil is kind of... Yeah, I'm going to send this. You don't want to push to find I'm out send that um, issue or something like that. Yeah, I'm going to send the sample off. It, you know, it may be skewed because I've been adding oil, but I did just go ahead and put a, quarter, uh, a gallon of the Lucas in. Uh, that seems to that seems to help a little thicker. That, the Lucas uh, oil are you adding? I'm sorry. How much oil are you adding? Um, right now, uh, I, I I go you know twenty five thousand miles to the uh, changing the filters and the OPS filter. And uh, right now I'm at six, six gallons. It'll be seven probably before I dump it. And that would definitely affect the oil analysis because we're, we're going to kind of water it down some. Right, right. But I'll go ahead and do it. Because uh, when I come out there, I can, this will be my last bottle of the, I always order it, Kevin. Since I'm going to be out there, in November, I could just get the, another five five bottle set from you guys. Correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. And uh, I got a question for Kevin too, if you don't mind. Sure, go ahead. Um, is there any advantages when I when I get this rebuilt? Uh, I've, I've been using uh, the, uh, your uh, profit gauges and um, uh, fuel gauges for almost eight years now, so over seven years. And um, would it be any advantage for the? I know it doesn't matter for the profit gauges. I'm not going to change that. But should I uh, start over on the fuel gauges with uh, a fresh rebuild? No, I wouldn't. What you can do is just make a note in your account somewhere so that you remember the date. Because any time you want, you can go back and create a custom report. So I would just keep it going so we have continuity. I wouldn't want to start all over again. But just know that anytime anytime you want, you could go back and say, hey, let me run a report from the day we did the in-frame till now and compare it to prior. So, yeah, I would just leave it alone. Keep doing what you're doing. Just make a note on when you did the in-frame. Okay. And uh, I know we can't change my – my odometer's never been right when I – got the truck we we know exactly how many miles was on it but the, the dash cluster it went out and for some reason it was it got set to zero and when i bought it you know it was at a hundred and one thousand but i know but i know how many miles are on the truck but do they make up i know they make a gps to, uh, deal mileage deal for a phone but i wouldn't want to use my phone because my phone doesn't stay in the truck do they make do they make one that I can leave in the truck that specifically does mileage? Because GPS mileage is accurate. They, they they might, but you know what I've found, uh, and I used to do this on almost all my trucks. It was simple. It was cheap. It was old school. But I used to just throw a hubometer on them. They were really accurate, too. They lasted forever. I never had problems with them, and they were just simple. 
throw a throw a what now? A hubometer. You just bolt a little. Yeah, I wondered the same thing. Yeah. Um, Where do you get those at? Any truck parts store, I would think. Does anybody? I'm sure they still make these things, right? I haven't seen one in a long time. They are kind of old school, but they work really well. I imagine any parts store would have one. What, pyrometers? No, a hubometer. No, hubometer. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. So you just install it to the hub. Yeah, it's just. We run them on our trucks. Yeah, it's just two, you take off two nuts, you slide the brackets over, you put the nuts back on, and it just rides right there on your hub, and you just walk by and look at it. I'll be damned. Okay. Uh, David, did you say yeah, pretty you, accurate, so. you run them on your trucks? Yeah, I still run them. I yeah. run them now. I, I haven't seen them like, in a long like time. If I do they're, something to it. they're simple and they're accurate. Yeah. Yeah, truck Pro has them. Cool. So I can set it to zero when I do the rebuild, and yep, and there it'll be. Cool, cool. So I wonder if they have one that's cheap or that's uh, Bluetooth now that'll have a readout you, for your inside of your truck. <laughs> you know, they, here, here's the thing, and here's why on some of this stuff I'd rather go old school. One, it's it's less complicated and they're accurate. But two. We have way too many devices in our cab already. The last thing I want is one more yeah. device fighting for my Bluetooth or my Wi-Fi. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, we, we, when, when we looked at the scan gauge, and the scan gauge is old school, plugged in, it's not wireless, not Bluetooth, it's not Wi-Fi, and we thought about, why don't we just get rid of the hardware? Why don't we put a sending unit on and you can send this to a phone app instead? And I thought the same thing. We've got too many devices in the cab already, too many things fighting for the signals. Let's just leave it simple and old school. And I, I think it works better. Oh, you know what? The scan gauge, it reads the, uh, it reads the mileage from the ECM, uh, ECM doesn't it? Yeah, it does. There's a reading in there. Right. And my mine is off from the actual dash. It's not off by it's off by like a hundred and eight thousand miles. I don't know why, but it's just off. I think it's because they tried to make everything right when they put that cluster in before Possibly. I bought the truck. Yeah. It was right it was right before I bought the truck. But yeah, it's a shame you can't just reset that and start over. Yeah, go go old school. It's easier. Let's uh, let's go to West Virginia. Randy, welcome to the program. Hey guys, how are you? Good. What can we help you with today? Okay. Well, got a piece of notes. I wouldn't be sitting here babbling. Um, okay, one thing I wanted to tell you. Long time listener. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Kevin used to do my taxes years ago. Really, man. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but uh, of course I've been listening to you for years, and and I, I fought hard against your fuel mileage stuff, and finally <laughs> had to come around to it some, somewhat. But I, I love my three seventy nine Pete. Matter of fact, I, I took it to Uniontown, Pennsylvania, this morning. There you go, and um, enjoyed good. driving. There, good. But, uh, a couple years ago, before the fuel went up, I started building me a, and about as far as I could go. The other way was to go to a, a Freightliner 120, uh, freight, uh, you know, uh, condo, 
and because uh, I drove them years ago and, and with the Detroits, and I knew they, they did well on fuel. Well, I, with the help of Pittsburgh Power and some of their parts, uh, I'm really doing well on fuel. Good. Because uh, I've run a crew off 68 quite a bit, and my Peterbilt was getting 5.1. And I measured this one, I don't multiple times now, and it does the same exact run at 7.3. Nice. Uh, and I, I'm really, really pleased. <laughs> yeah, that's, and I, I was that's a lot of savings I'm today. Owner operated a lot of savings. Yeah, um, I was very fortunate. Found an owner operator spec to 120, which are kind of rare. Most of them were freight trucks, right? Uh, so I'm real happy with. It. Got one little issue with it, and uh, I can run that truck 700 miles, and it runs great out on the on the interstate stuff. But it's got a flutter in it, and I've heard many, many people on these forums having the exact same issues I've got. Uh, I heard uh, people call into your show many times, exact same issues. And I did hear that, uh, and this question for Bruce and Leroy, that they thought they might have a cure for this. But Bruce will know this. Um, uh, more than most people, it's exactly like the old timey micro switches would be bad on the Jake brake, and you would get the blue smoke. Uh, like the road I live on, I come out at real light throttle, and that's usually when it does it. And a real, real light throttle. If I if I lug on a little bit, it won't do it. But it'll get that sputter, and if you leave it in that little sputter spot, it will uh, actually backfire. And uh, I've heard people on your show describe the exact same symptoms. And I was really hoping for an answer because here's what I've done. I've got reman injectors, injector wiring harness, TPS has been changed, the wiring to the TPS, both timing sensors, map sensor, uh, a donor ECM, uh, all these things, uh, and nothing changes. It's exactly the same no matter what I do. Any you thoughts? guys still there? Yeah, so I fixed a few. Yeah, I, I fixed a few on those, and it's always because it switches into a uh, a timing offset that retards the timing by a whole a whole bunch. Um, and I can't remember. I think it's noise control BOI. I can't. Or what's the timing thing, but what, why would it do it with two different ECMs? If they have the same calibration, the same software updates, and they will do it. Yeah. They're pretty close. But one came out with KW, and mine, uh, this one here, I had it sent back to Freightliner, and they reprogrammed it back to that. Now, I do have the Pittsburgh Powerbox on it. Uh, but it uh, it does it with or without it. It did it before I put it on, and it still does it. I had stepped away from the yeah, phone. What no. engine is it? 12.7 Detroit. 12.7, okay. It's got that same type of sputter, uh, Bruce, that you and I, you know, with the no gears from the old NTCs. I've been doing this 42 years. You know, when that micro switch would get a little bit out of adjustment, and you'd have a little bit yeah. of fuel with your, your jake brake. It's that exact same symptoms, but I don't think it's got anything to do with Jake brakes because you can just leave them off all day, and it'll it'll always do it in the same particular spot coming out my little road to my house where I've got real light throttle. Sometimes it'll do it if I get in traffic and red lights and stuff, and I maintain the same little uh, light throttle for 
you know, too long of a distance, it will, uh, it will, it will just uh, die out and sputter. And you can either let up, or you can, you can, uh, you know, accelerate a little bit, put a little bit of lug, get the turbo boost up, and you're back to good times again. Pete, do you think it's sucking air? It'd be easy enough to check, but no, I don't think so. But I mean, it's easy enough to roll that out, and then we don't have to look I've at that. I've, I've checked for, for leaks in the air charge system. No, no, sucking air in the fuel system. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, okay. Now, I did buy one of the, uh, I did buy one of the, uh, the, the sight glasses. I haven't, uh, you know, made up the, the proper connections. I need to hook that up. But there again, it doesn't do it anywhere out on the road. I mean, you can run on the interstate all day long. You'll, it'll never sputter. Just, just runs perfect. It's only this light yeah, real acceleration. I had a guy by. We talked on the radio. Say that again. And we, we went out. We got to do it every time. And uh, I thought on the laptop, made adjustments to the calibration. And he called me a couple of days later, said it hasn't done it once. And I haven't heard from him again. <laughs> well, uh, it's, so you get it's to, very morning. I'm on a forum. For these guys, and, and this very morning, morning the same guy, same uh, issue. I see it all the time. So it's not my issue; it, it's it's a issue with them. Uh, and uh, I've heard many guys call in on your show describing the same exact symptoms that this, I'm experiencing. This and used it, to be so one of our. I'm, this used to be one of our most common calls. Yeah, oh, yeah, no yeah, doubt. We, we and it's always the all the time. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it. Yeah. and I had several yeah. of them that did this. Oh, yeah, yep. Uh, so what What do I need to do? Bring this thing to you and let you uh, uh, run it, you know, and see what, uh, if we can change the calibration in it and cure it? Think we could? Do you think we could simulate it on the dyno? Like throttle, oh, yeah. oh yeah, it's just I, I can I can simulate it anytime I want. All I got to do is okay. is run it down the road at a real light uh, acceleration for you know for just a, you know maybe ah, a quarter of a mile or something. If I don't move it, the throttle and keep it real, it it it'll, it'll do it. Okay, but I've, yeah. I I've I trained myself. Should make an I don't let it get in that. Make an appointment with Leroy and get it in. Let's get it on the dyno and get all hooked up to it. Yeah, that's the only thing I know to do. Uh, and uh, and I'll remind you when I get there. See, I'm not too far away here. I'll remind you when I get there, uh, you know, of our discussion. And one other thing, uh, do you, I've got your Pittsburgh box on it. I've got a priometer because I'm, I'm I'm old school like uh, Bruce. I like a, a boost gauge and a priometer and any gauge I can get. Uh, but my, I've got a digital priometer on there, and I don't think it's accurate. Do you guys have a probe that will go into my exhaust manifold that will hook up to your power box? Yes. 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 Yeah, I probably would. Okay. Well, I'll need to purchase one of them while I'm there. I've got, I've got a, 
a full flow manifold on this thing with the probe in the in the uh, uh, the, the manifold. Yeah, and and I know it's not accurate because I mean I'm four hundred's the most I've ever got on. Oh wow! Yep, there's a problem. Something's wrong. Yeah, that, that's not an accurate day. And this truck pulls. You know, we're talking about the little twelve seven. Uh, it pulls better than my five fifty cat. There you and go. I, I've run it on stage three <laughs> constantly. I never run it above stage three, which I believe nice. has got me about 575 horsepower, if I'm correct, Bruce. What, what's the boost? It's uh, 1,800. Yeah, the boost, I'm uh, on your on your gauge, I'm a, some of around somewhere around 40. My gauge will only go to 32. But on your Pittsburgh Power Box gauge, it'll go somewhere close to 42. All right, so let's do a little calculation here. I'll have the answer in a it's second. It's a factory tune 500, and I'm on stage three, which, Vaughn, I understand your box takes me 25 per per stage. Yeah. So you're actually at 42 pound of boost approaching 700 horsepower. Well, it runs like it, but that's, it shouldn't be at the stage three, should it? <laughs> it's uh, the the firebox is seeing a lot of extra boost than when we first built it and what it was calibrated on. And it might be the manifold and turbo because keep in mind when we built these uh, twenty, it'd be twenty years ago now. Uh, we didn't have those manifolds and turbos available, and we worked with the stock wastegated turbo and right. stock manifold. And the box sees airflow, and it, it will give it more fuel. So you're getting a whole lot more power than what you, what you're thinking you are. Well, no wonder it outpulls my 550. Yeah. But it, we can make it that. We can make that five fifty cat now. Oh, <laughs> good too. So, yeah. You know, oh no, no doubt. I just don't think I'm gonna get the fuel mileage out of that five fifty. I'm getting with this Detroit, and I'm real happy with this Detroit. There you go. Well, Matt, Matt does Matt does very well with his cat with fuel mileage, but uh, you're on sixty eight. So sixty eight's the hardest interstate in the United States. So. I completely agree. I've only been doing it 40 years across here. <laughs> it was actually, when I started, it was 40 and then 48. Yeah. 68 is the toughest one. That western part of Maryland is the toughest part, toughest place by West Vaco, West Vaco Paper Company there. When I first called on them back in the days in the mechanical engines, sometimes they would lose an engine in 20,000 miles. Their drivers wouldn't let them warm up and they'd flat put them up out of that valley. I mean, that, that's a brutal area. Right up out of Luke, huh? Mm-hmm. So, all, All right, right, guys. I don't want to take up anybody else's time, but uh, much appreciated. Call, All right. Thanks. Call for the Leroy call. and get in on that dyno. There you go. Yes, sir. We'll get that done. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Gene, welcome to the program. Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. Hey, I heard you talking about that uh, burping issue in that 12.7. I am the one that uh, Leroy, you rode with me in my uh, in that, that blue Volvo. And we uh, 
Yeah. Got into it and fixed that, and that was exactly what was going on, and that's all there was to it. It has not done it since then. Actually, it's running fantastic. But it was, uh, with, what was that, a smoke control circuit, I think you called it? I can't remember exactly what the offset uh, modifier was for the timing, but it was something that made it uh, go yeah, away. I think you said, yeah, the timing was off in something with uh, one of the other control circuits in the ECM. It, yeah, as it said, it yeah. did it at low RPMs all the time. If you're going traffic light to traffic light, if you're in around town, you run down the highway, you'll never, it, it never acts up. It's only when you're in that in town area, uh, going, you're accelerating up or you're going between traffic lights, and it would do it every time. Like I said, you could make it do it on demand. And that's, remember, we drove back on uh, 228 there back and forth a few times, and you jumped it in, and I called you shortly after, said it's been fine, and it's still going fine. It, it's, Definitely, you got the solution to that. I put injectors into it. I put a wiring harness for the injectors. Uh, none of that fixed it until you got down there and hooked up on it. Good. Yeah, no, you don't even have to put it on the dyno. We can just jump in the uh, truck, go for a ride, make sure it doesn't, and then adjust the calibration and it goes away. So. Yeah, yeah, that's all we did, and that was, uh, that was the solution. Yeah. One time. And I, while I got you on the line there, Kevin, did you ever uh, get into that book that I give you to read through about electronics? Yes. Yes, I'm learning. I go back to it occasionally and, and read, and I think I'm starting to get a better understanding. I don't have to guess as much anymore. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of intense information in there. But that's why. I, yeah, that's why I go back to it little bits at a time when I'm having problems. Or when I'm working on something electrical, right. I'll go back, kind of skim through it, and yeah, it's helping. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it just helps things uh, digest and yep. set into place. And it's uh, so I've been working in electronics for the past forty years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that, that the version of that book is I started at uh, at Botech. I went to Lenape Botech up there in Port City, and I started there in eleventh grade. And, Went through the military. I was an electrician. I was a high voltage electrician in the Air Force. Come out and used my GI Bill to get a, a degree at an electronic institute down uh, down by the Homestead High Level Bridge. I'm sure. Yeah. Pittsburgh about that. Yep. Yeah. Good that, stuff. That was that was Rosedale, wasn't it? Yeah, Rosedale Tech and Electronic Institute. Correct. Yeah, that's where uh, that Sharp that builds our pumps and injectors went. It wasn't it, Pete. Yep, Pat went there and so did Brian. Oh, excellent. Yeah, okay. Now, you said you went to Lenape. Are you from Ford City? No, I live up in Dayton. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, you guys come up through there in the bikes. And I've got the uh, yeah. I've got the mobile the mobile catalyst. I sell on the highway, and, and I get into my Amish community. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now I know who I'm talking to. Right. There you go. Okay. All right. Good stuff. We got to keep rolling here. The calls just keep coming. Let's go to Louisiana. Brian, welcome to the program. Hey, fellas. How's it going? Good. What um, can we help you with today? Yeah, I thought I'd call into the show and give a big shout out to uh, uh, those guys in Phoenix, Chris and Toby. Um, I went out on my maiden voyage out to Phoenix and, uh, in my truck that I just put on the road and, um, it wasn't, it was only firing on five cylinders and, 
called them on a Sunday. I looked up Pittsburgh Power and looked up uh, Drivers for Hire off their website and uh, Southwest Roadmaster. And, man, that mobile mechanic, he came out and he uh, put the computer on it, found out right away I need, you know, needed another inject, uh, injector. One, number one wasn't firing. So there wasn't one available in Phoenix anywhere. I had to get it overnighted. He handled all that came out then it put the pittsburgh power tune on it i just went on the i'm on my way back from a run to north carolina and it man it 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 really pulls good i mean i'm heavy like almost seventy eight thousand pounds and um bruce knows exactly <laughs> what's going on i remember on. talking to you i said put the injector in and let's do the tune because you said this cat won't run i said oh yep. we can make it run so yeah, yeah, yep. I got uh, on my fuel gauge or yeah, fuel gauges out there. I was like, I don't know, but I had to sit there five days too because the customer wouldn't uh, couldn't receive the load, so it worked out perfectly. Otherwise, it would have been a disaster. But um, I got five point seven four miles per gallon, almost seventy eight thousand, and this Pete three seventy nine is two thousand four, and uh, I'm passing everybody on the hills. I mean. Um, and I'm taking it easy. I'm just, I'm just trying to baby this thing and take it easy. Cause, uh, you know, um, but I did want to, I know Bruce, you, you did tell me to call you back and let's get a sweet spot on, you know, figure out some stuff. And, yeah. uh, I don't know if, uh, you want me to call you after the show and we can figure that out. I can't something. today after the show, but I can, um, I can around five o'clock. Between four and five, call me. Four or five. Okay. Uh, well, I'll be back to the terminal by four thirty, which will be. Well, try try me at four. I try actually try me at three thirty. Let's see. Three thirty. Okay. All right. That sounds. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I mean, it pulls. I mean, it'll. This was it, the bridge. And we don't have the manifold and turbo on it yet. Nope. So the manifold and turbo is another half mile of the gallon. And it'll also let it run more free. And you'll push a whole lot less. Plus you'll gain 80 more horsepower and about 240 more foot-pound of torque. So. Yeah, that's, that sounds good. I, I'm Anyway, I just I couldn't be happier. And uh, with just the whole thing. I mean, those guys are pro. They are. I mean, they do what they say they're going to do. They call when they they're going to call. They text when they they answer their phones. They show up yep. when they're, you know, those guys. Even down to the payment, it's all pro. So, if anybody needs help in Phoenix, I was on. Man, that, Excellent. Huh? Good. I, I was on the phone with him yesterday, and you were part of the subject, and we we're talking about some other things, and they're looking at some other trucks to purchase. There you go. All right, we got to keep moving. We're, uh, you see, you see, Kevin. When everything works together, and our dealers work with us, and the customers listen, wonderful things can happen. It's a beautiful thing. You know? Yep, that's for sure. It is. We're gonna head off to Connecticut. Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I sent you a oil sample. I was wondering if you take a gander on it. Uh, yeah. Let's take a look here. Um, Boy, this looks like it's going to be an easy one. We've got a uh, DD15. What year is it? 
2016. Okay. Uh, looks like... I don't see any mileages on here. Um, oh, here we go. 617,000. Yeah, yeah 613 and 14,000 when you took the sample. Was there a reason we took the sample that early? Uh, not really. I usually I'm, just change it around that time or might just waste an oil. Oh, you're, you're absolutely wasting oil. If this is when you normally okay. change your oil, you threw away some really, really clean oil. As a matter of fact, the next time you go to change your oil, just swing by here and drop off your old oil. I'll take it. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Yeah, Should I be worried about the iron or anything? Or No. No. Yeah, Are you using Catalyst? No. Yeah, correct. That, that's why. Um, your other wear metals are okay. really low, so we know the iron is just the catalyst. This oil looks like you just poured it out of the bottle. I mean, really. I, I would not gotcha. I would okay. not sample till 25,000. Okay. All right. And then, really, you should well, just get a... Uh, just, now, wait a minute. So this is a DD fifteen. You're changing oil at fifteen thousand. Right. Have you ever looked in your owner's manual? No, I hear no, nobody it's ever 60, does. Thousand, right? But is it right. uh, what year did I, you we say don't it was? Know that is. I know. I asked you once already. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, Two thousand sixteen. Sixteen. Does anybody know? Is it the sixteen fifty thousand or sixty thousand recommended on the DD fifteen? Say that again. 50,000. 50. That's what I thought. Um, so, yeah. So you're Great. changing before 15,000 and the manufacturer is even saying, go to 50. Don't worry. And the reason they can do that is because this engine has some bypass filtration on it. Right. Okay. Yeah. You're definitely making the oil oh. companies even richer. We don't need to do that. They don't, like they don't need any there. help. Yeah, they don't, they don't need any help. <laughs> All right, so I'll friggin' change it around 50, and I guess go from there. So. Yeah, sample at 25, and then, you know, maybe yep. sample again at 40, and then you'll know if you need to change when 50 rolls around or not. Or, honestly, you can wait till 50 to sample again, and you'll still have plenty of time. Right, okay. All right. I appreciate the feedback, so. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah, we Just burning saved, money over here. saved you some money and time there. That's for sure. Let's, uh, we're going to grab one more call, maybe two. I see there's another one coming in. Let's go to Ontario. Ryan, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Good morning. Um, Kevin, I sent you an oil sample. Wonder if you can have a look at it. I can. Let me get back to my oil samples again. Uh, there we go. Oh, okay, so this is a different sample. It's going to take me just a minute here. Uh, yeah, and I have it in hours, not miles. Yeah, so that's it's even. Well, the good news is I'm not seeing anything I need to be concerned about, no matter how I look at it. Um, this is another really clean sample. So roughly, do you know about how many miles this would have worked out to be? Uh, it would probably be seven or 8,000. It's on a medium-duty dump truck engine, and the oil's 
in the samples about a year old with 400 hours on it. Okay. And I'm just wondering what, with the sample results, what should I do? Like, I'm probably splitting hairs running oil that long time wise, but it's, no, um, you're, you're coming back clean. and I did You're really it. not. Time really doesn't hurt oil. We might get a higher oxidation number just because it's been exposed to oxygen longer, but I don't get too crazy about high oxidation if I don't see any other problems. Uh, I don't think you kept this oil in too long at all. I mean, this oil is still serviceable. Okay, so what's your recommendation for how much more time before I sample it again? And I didn't change the filter. Like, it doesn't have bypass. It just has the, the factory oil filter. So should I put a new I'd, I'd filter throw a fil- on it? And I'd run throw a filter dirt? on there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fine extending drains and going longer on oil. But the best way to do that is make sure we've got good filtration. So even if we don't have bypass, change the factory if you're going to keep running the oil. Um, how long did you say this was in, in like, months? In months, there's probably 11 months. You know, honestly, I I think if this is how you run this truck and this is the normal duty cycle, if you wanted to be on the safe side, I might sample every six months and and change it when the sample tells you to. Yeah, okay, because that's what uh, the sample kind of told me. The little note on it was just go to the next interval is what right. I, how I kind of interpreted it. No, I that's, just wanted to, I know you have. Yeah, that's exactly I right. I your experience on it, so I want to by you and, uh, and just, uh, yeah, it didn't seem to have any water contamination or it didn't nothing. seem any, anything odd sitting around in the engine. No, nope, so. nothing at all. So I would just, uh, I just put a reminder on my calendar. I would sample every six months. Okay, perfect. Alrighty, thanks for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Kansas, and I'll just let you know this is probably going to be our last call here on the Power Hour. We'll wrap this up, get some final thoughts from everybody. I've got John on the line. We're going to roll right into uh, the pit right after this. So if you want to join us for some political talk, that's coming up next. Uh, Chris in Kansas, what can we help you with today? Hi, Kevin. Hi, guys. I've got a uh, Freightliner Classic that I'm running a C12 Caterpillar engine in it, and I keep getting blowback out of the fuel tanks. Uh, every trip, it's, it's, it's staying the whole tank. So it comes out of the, the uh, feeders for the, for the engine heater and the bunk heater, the, you know, the fuel caps. Uh, and I've tightened these seals up so many times, and it still keeps coming out. So what can cause that? I think it's injector cups. That's what I was thinking. It's got a bit of a, uh, I wouldn't say, it's like an imbalance when you, when you, especially when you're cold and you and you run it through the gears and, and you're building up speed. You can feel a little bit of a judder in the engine, and I was thinking it was a fuel delivery problem. Yeah, I think you've got, uh, you know, the bottom overing leaking on one is pushing pressure up and pushing the... Uh, fuel back into the tank and pressurizing your fuel tank. This engine was rebuilt like 400,000 ago. That's okay. Uh, not, less than that. I think it's 300 miles. Uh, the, uh, Remember what we said about metal fatigue at the beginning of the show? 
Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about an O-ring. We're talking about an O-ring. Last week I talked yeah. about fixing some problems with an O-ring. I fixed another yeah. problem with an O-ring on something. Saved another couple hundred dollars this week. So, uh, O-rings, they ask an O-ring, on a diesel engine, they ask an O-ring to do a lot of sealing. But sometimes... That O-ring can get hard and brittle if it's not the right O-ring. And sometimes just what it's sealed against, all it has to do is have a little bit of corrosion around it. Okay. Do you remember on the big cams on the going down into the water pump and the oil cooler? Sometimes we had to use silicone along with the O-ring to fix it, and you'd let it dry for a day, and then the problem would be gone. That was kind of standard so, uh, change, change the injectors, injectors uh, top themselves in. Well, you'd have to take the injectors out and pressurize the cooling system. Put yeah. a 20-pound feet, 20-pound water pressure in there, and then look and see if you have coolant draining in on top of the piston. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Now, one other thing could be, would be the um, – have you checked the vents in your – tanks. Because if the vents aren't working properly, it's going to build pressure. So the tanks yeah. do need to be vented. So I've, 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 you have I've checked the ends. Have not. I've checked the ends. I checked the ends of the, the hoses that come out of there, and there's nothing obstructing them. But would I need to take them out? Well? They, they, they're coupling out, and then and how, how would I check that? Yeah, take them, well, they, take them out and clean them. Now let's both tanks are doing it. I doubt two vents <clears throat> acted up at the same time. But, again, we always want to do the easiest, cheapest things first. It takes a little bit of your time. Make sure the vents aren't an issue. Um, another thing would be a middle O-ring cut on the injectors. And you're putting some fuel pressure back into the return, which would raise the amount of return to pressurize the tank. Right on. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Either way, the injectors have to, uh, check that stuff. Yeah. The injectors have got to come out to be checking out all of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Other than the tank, man, uh, something you can do fairly easily. Okay. Sounds like i got a project. Yeah. Uh, thanks. So thanks you, so much, guys. With a steel yeah. ball, and the ball yeah. would float up and down to let pressure out, and that okay. steel ball would corrode into the aluminum, and then the tank couldn't breathe. So we would okay. take those out of there and just put a brass fitting and put a hose, like a three eighths or a quarter inch ID hose, and put it up over the frame rail and tie it in there, and the problem would be gone. And and if one was blocked, wouldn't that affect the feed for the tanks? Uh, to balance the tanks Absolutely. You build up a tremendous amount oh, of pressure. Well, so would I have one tank full and one tank empty? Is that how it would work? It could do that, too. If one yeah. is blocked, yes. If both of them are blocked, then it could do what it's doing, which is unlikely, but again, it's easy to check. Okay. Well, that's my first step. I think we've got to pull the injectors out. Uh, it's, it's a 2000 truck, it's a uh, 2000, and, and so uh, it's, you know, it could be the original in there, I don't know. 
I did have the truck painted uh, uh, about a year ago, and they painted the tanks as well, and but they have plugged something up that way. Um, maybe. Possible. Anything's possible. Yeah, certainly possible. Yep. Okay. Well, I really enjoyed listening to you guys talking on the show, so keep it up, eh? We'll, we'll do. Thanks for the call. Thanks for your support. All right, we're going to wrap this up, and we're going to roll on into the pit. Uh, thanks to our special guest for today, David Counts. David, anything you want to wrap up with? What do you want people to know about fleet air filters these days? Just make sure that the filters that are out there, these guys have, that they're washing them like they're supposed to. I mean, that's what the filters are for. Clean, keep a few mileage up. You know the one thing I like to tell people about fleet air filters? What's that? If you don't have one, get one. Why wouldn't you? That's that's exactly right. Yeah, if you don't have one, get one. If you don't even, if, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time on the, the filter itself today. We've been talking about them for years. Why this is a much, much better technology than those stupid old paper filters. So if you want to know all the benefits, give them a call. Just get one. That's the easiest thing I can tell people. Just get one. Absolutely. All right. Anybody have anything they want to wrap up with? All right. Looks like we're going to get out of here easy then. Thanks uh, again, David, and the team from Pittsburgh Power. We'll do it again next week. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.